0: They're trying to figure out who they are and what they wanna be. And of course for them, that's terrifying, but it's also I think really invigorating, especially because we have been through such a tough year and a half. I think people have really started to think about what matters to me? What do I really want out of this life and how am I gonna get it?
1: Welcome to Better Together with Kosti Epifonsive, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Costa Yepifonsiv. Hey y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Amy Price, Associate Professor of English, Assistant Chair of Humanities, and International Education Coordinator at Volunteer State Community College. Today we're talking about studying abroad and how students can take advantage of their world of possibilities. Amy, you've worked in higher education since 2005. Tell us a little bit more about your position and what is your favorite part about working in education?
0: Primarily, my number one responsibility is teaching students. I teach a lot of English composition and literature, so I see great value in helping students engage with their surrounding world through the words and the art of others. And I think my number one love for that is certainly the relationships that I can build with my students.
1: That's great. So, what's your favorite book?
0: Oh, wow. We don't have that kind of time. (laughs) But I can certainly say that in the past couple of years, probably the most important book that I've read is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Okay. I also like a lot of historical fiction. Um, Neil Gaiman is my favorite fantasy author. I do quite a bit of reading in spurts where I'll be in one genre for a little bit and then I'll hop around to another one. I'm currently reading Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, which has a lot of math in it. So, that's getting me out of my comfort zone physics and um, space travel really fascinating
1: and when you're teaching your students what is your favorite book to teach
0: I've been teaching The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman for several years now. Um, It's about a young boy who either has an incredibly supernatural adventure as a child, or he has to overcome the trauma of his parents' divorce and losing their home, and comes to terms with that through this kind of reinvention and reimagination. And it addresses a lot of themes that my students really respond to, like coming to terms with who your parents really are, and isolation, and coming out of that, and growing up, and friendship, and sacrifice, and that is definitely a powerful thing to have in the classroom.
1: That's incredible. And it segues into my next question. Why do you think so many students choose community college instead of going to a university or directly into the workforce?
0: Well, I think that that initial decision starts at the same place that a lot of our decisions do, and that's with money. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we have to think about the economic aspect. So, the fact that our tuition is so much less definitely gets our students in the door, but I think that they stay for their relationships. We have small classes. I know all my students' names. My students can walk into financial aid or student services, any staff member's office, and get help, if not immediately, certainly very soon. We are there for the students. Our primary goal is teaching and student support. And I think that students really respond to that and know that we want them to be there. We want them to succeed.
1: And you've been a professor since 2005? That's correct. So put this into perspective, it's a much better value proposition. And the professors, the caliber of the professors, I mean, just speaking to you, I can already tell that you are in par, if not better, than professors at four-year universities. Thank you. you. You know, if I were to ask that question about, you know, what is your favorite book or what do you enjoy teaching your class, I feel like I would get Shelley's Frankenstein you know, it would be one of those types of responses that's very curriculum based because that's what they have to teach and they teach it all the time. And I like the fact that you get to sort of come out of your comfort zone. Do you feel like you get more freedom to be able to teach the way that you want at Ball State as opposed to maybe a four-year university?
0: It's hard to say because I've never taught at a four-year university, but I do feel like I have the freedom to teach the books and the writing assignments that I feel comfortable with, that I know my students can be successful in. As long as I meet the course, outcomes on the syllabus. So I am not in any way stuck to a curriculum like you must teach Shakespeare. You must teach Frankenstein. And I have gravitated so much toward more modern literature because that shows my students two things. One, literature can matter to them. And two, literature is a living art. It is still happening right now. It did not end with the death of Shakespeare or the death of Robert Burns. We are still creating magnificent art that helps us find our place in the world.
1: That's great. Before we move on to studying abroad, I'd like to ask you something that I've been learning about uh, recently and I've really put a lot of thought in. We currently have a K through 12 model. Public education and what public education is willing to fund is K through 12. But there are these elements that we're seeing in politics, essentially, where they're trying to transition to a three to 14 model because they realize that the three and four year old age and that 19 and 20 year old age are essential to the development of essentially the preparation of the student. Do you think that and I know you can't really speak on the three to four year old, but let's talk on the 1920s, so the last the two years after graduating senior year high school. Do you feel like that would be an essential part of public education? And do you support going uh, extra two years?
0: I don't know that we need to add two more years. I think maybe we need to revamp what we're doing. And of course, I'm certainly not well versed in what's going on in K through 12. But I think the number one issue that I consistently see is that students don't have confidence in expressing their ideas. So they've been told to fill out this bubble sheet or write this paper that fills in these blanks instead of really explaining, their own critical thinking and developing their ideas. If we could find a better way to show students a love of reading and help them have the confidence that they need to really share and develop their ideas, I think that would solve a world of problems.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. Amy, how did you get involved with the study abroad program and and what inspired you to go in that direction?
0: Well, I initially started college as a psychology major and then I took another turn and I went into political science because I was going to be a litigator. And then I realized I don't I don't know if I want to do this. And like all great success stories, I found somebody who supported me. I didn't get here by myself. Um, that professor was Bob Clardy. He first encouraged me to take his graduate level (laughs) Irish literature course. As an undergraduate, which I had wow. to get special permission to do, um, I wrote a paper about an Irish author, Katie Hayes. He encouraged me to interview her, to write to her and say, may I come to your home in Dublin and talk to you about your work? And when he said that, I laughed. I thought, oh, you're so funny. He said, no, I'm serious. So I wrote to her and I went to Dublin and she took me into her home and we talked about books and writing. And that was the basis for my thesis. Um, he also encouraged me to attend the Manly Hopkins Summer School in Monasturb in Ireland. And it was in that week when I started really engaging with scholars from around the world that I realized maybe I can make a go of this English thing. I am so happy in this environment. I care so much about, just simply put, words words and why they matter. And I'm going to go for it. So he said, stick around. I'll direct your thesis. Um, Of course, the Katie Hayes interview played into that. And from then on, I just decided I want to keep traveling. And I found out about the Tennessee Consortium for International Studies in 2009. And I applied to teach in Ireland.
1: Wow. How long did you teach there?
0: I taught for three weeks. So all of our programs are three to four weeks. So I taught in Ireland for several years. And then they asked me to direct the Scotland program after I'd taught there once. So I directed Scotland. And I'm currently, directing South Africa and Ireland.
1: Wow. In your opinion, what do you think are the biggest differences between the United States and South Africa and and Ireland?
0: I think a lot of it is the cultural values, the things that are important to us. You see a lot more emphasis, especially in Ireland, on the written word, um, the value of poetry and song, the arts. What I do see my students discover, as I discovered myself, is that our core, as human beings, we really all want the same things. We want a safe place to live. We want to take care of our families we want to engage in what we care about. We want to find a job that's going to help us keep a roof over our heads. And we are nowhere near as different as social media may lead us to believe as humans.
1: So what do you think are the benefits for students that participate and study abroad?
0: Well, there are a lot of things they can put on the resume. So, you know, all the networking and the cultural exchanges, cultural immersion. I've heard stories about students who were down to being one of the last two applicants for a job, nearly identical resumes, and the person who had studied abroad. That put them just one notch above and they got the job. But some of the things aren't as quantifiable as a grade. You know, just seeing your place in the world and understanding more about the world that you live in, having a conversation with with somebody who runs the tourism company that took you across the water to the islands. This is person tying all these sailors knots who's talking to you about place and just the fact that there's so much that we have in common. There's so much that we can gain from just being able to look outside of our world beyond Cookville or Tennessee.
1: You know, my wife, she studied abroad for two years when she was in university and she went to Aachen, Germany, uh, which is, I guess, the sister college of Tennessee tech. And she has always kind of spoken about that being such a transformative experience for her. She grew up in Cookville. She went to Cookville High School. Uh, You know, Cookville... Now it's a population of about 80,000 people back then. I'm sure it was a lot less in the mid 2000s. And I believe that getting into an environment that's different and receiving kind of a worldly view allows you to become a little more enlightened, uh, a little more understanding of the world around you, and uh, you get to go back to where you plan on living and having a career at, and you get to perceive it at a different plane. And I think that that's really important because you don't want to have blinders on for the majority of your life. You need to be able to experience more of the world because, yes, fundamentally, we are all the same, but there are also differences, and those differences is what makes us unique. So what do students and parents, what do they need to know when deciding whether or not to take part in a study abroad program?
0: The number one concern we hear from parents, and it's understandable is the safety of the locations. So all of our locations have been vetted by Tensys. All of the faculty have been through a rigorous application process. Every housing facility that we use, every transportation company that we use, they have all been checked by us. Um, The people who are leading the trips are experienced faculty members. So I've been to Ireland at this point probably 15 or 16 times. So students who come with me to Ireland know that I know the answers to their questions, know that I know the safe places, know that I know how to get resources. I have Joke before that, if I say got hit by a car and somebody unlocked my phone, they would be going through thinking, is this person a spy? Because I have all of these numbers <laughs> to doctors and taxi companies and embassies around the world. Because that, that's part of my job is to be prepared. We receive training before we take students overseas. So that's the, the the safety piece. The other aspect of that is that we are very solidly based in academics. These are not fancy field trips. We are taking students to museums to walk in the footsteps of the people that they are studying. We are taking them to locations of historical and cultural importance. It is a three or four week program where students easily get their semester's worth of learning.
1: I have to ask, how expensive is it to study abroad and how do students normally pay for it?
0: Well, the average cost is probably about 4500 to 5000 but that includes the airfare, the housing, all of the excursions, the on-ground transportation, usually two meals a day. So I know people who have gone to Disney World and, and spent more money, but that, that is, still quite a bit of money. Sure. And nearly every college in Tennessee who's participating with TENSIS offers some type of financial assistance. So at Val State, we have scholarships that typically run about 50 percent or maybe more. So students can get half their fee covered. And through TBR, TENSIS received a grant that will help students who are receiving the Pell Grant pay for the other half of their program.
1: I mean, I'm assuming if it's only $5,000 and you guys are having these incredible experiences, I'm assuming that some of it is already subsidized. Right. And because like just a plane ticket to Ireland's nine hundred dollars. Easily. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that was back in the day. So mm-hmm, right? <laughs> I haven't been to Europe <laughs> in a long time. So, I mean, there's already a subsidization. So the value that the state, uh, maybe even the federal government in terms of grants puts on this experience is already there. So it's important to take advantage of an opportunity like this so students can expect anywhere from as low as maybe 2,500 to as high as 5,000 to study abroad. Yes. Uh,
0: And again, each institution has their own scholarships, but generally speaking, a lot of us offer 50%. That's
1: great. What countries uh, have you held class in? And what are some of the possible destinations that a student could choose? Well, I've
0: had the privilege of teaching in Scotland, South Africa, and Ireland. For 2022, we are offering a lot of our European destinations. We have offered in the past Brazil and India and South Africa. We are hoping to bring those back in 2023. Of course, depending on the COVID situation, that is something that Tensys monitors weekly. They are very up to date on State Department warnings and vaccination rates and things like that. So we still have about 16 countries that students can go to next year, potentially, and we're hoping to bring some more back for 2023.
1: The whole variant situation out of South Africa, do you have any contacts in South Africa? I mean, how are they doing? Like, are they hunkered down?
0: Well, I haven't spoken to the specific contact I'm thinking of in two weeks, Mm -hmm. but she said vaccines are rolling out at a much more rapid rate. I do also want to add that the variant may have been discovered by epidemiologists in South Africa, but it didn't necessarily originate in South Africa. And so the way that our media spins those headlines can really cast a negative attitude over a country and make people less willing to travel there. Not that health issues aren't a significant factor to consider, but South Africa tends to always get the brunt of these news. Stories, whereas they're an incredibly medically advanced country. Yeah. The first heart transplant in the world happened there. Going back to my contacts, um, they are cautiously optimistic that tourism is going to continue to open back up fully. Of course, as you can imagine, around the world, a lot of businesses have closed down. You know, we've lost the housing that we relied on in South Africa. So we're going to have to revisit and find a new location for housing. But I mean, th- those things do happen even pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of kind of rebooting and reevaluating and looking at what we do and how we continue. They need to do it safely
1: so i mean covid has kind of turned the study abroad program kind of on its head absolutely and now you're sort of having to pick up the pieces as you emerge what we all hope to be sort of the end of this pandemic um, i know for us especially um in our line of work working with the elderly and the physically disabled intellectually disabled we're constantly having to pivot it's like every quarter there's a new challenge or a new dynamic this has been the probably the most engaging and interesting two years uh, since you know we've this business. So I can't imagine having to combat these issues on a global scale in different countries. And, you know, that changes on a dime. So commend you for that.
0: Thank you. Well, also, industry is helping us out because, as you know, if there's a way to make money, people are going to find the way. Well, millions of people depend on the tourism industry to make a living. So in France right now, for example, they have an app where once you're into the country, you show the app, they scan the QR code, you prove that you have been vaccinated. They're doing that at the Louvre the Mousset d'Orsay, the Eiffel Tower, just another little layer that is keeping the people of France and the tourists safe, but also is keeping the tourism industry going. And I do think we are going to continue to see different innovations like that.
1: Talk to me a little bit about some of the success stories uh, that you've witnessed with students that have studied abroad.
0: I had a student eight or nine years ago who I met her very first year. Um, She was in her 40s. She had never been to college. She was a recovering drug addict. She had been living in her car. She walked in to get help orientation day and she didn't even know how to turn on a computer. And somebody at my institution helped her with that. She ended up in my college success class and we built a relationship there and then she took my. English class and we continued to work together. And after about a year, she said, you know, I've never left the state. I've never been past Gatlinburg. I want to study abroad. I want to go to South Africa. So I helped her find a grant through PTK. I wrote a letter of recommendation for her. Um, We found another opportunity for her to get funding. She ended up being able to go to South Africa for almost no money. And she ended up finishing her degree in social work a year or after that. And that was it for me, one of my favorite examples of somebody who maybe would have thought that's so far beyond the realm of possibility for me. And the state of Tennessee made that happen for her.
1: That's amazing. Do you encounter a lot of those? I mean, it may not even be for studying abroad, but do you encounter a lot of students who seek out Vol State and are in your classes that are putting the pieces of their life back together?
0: Absolutely. I think it's such an exciting time to be in teaching, especially for these students who are taking their first semester. They're trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be. And of course, for that's terrifying, but it's also, I think, really invigorating, especially because we have been through such a tough year and a half. I think people have really started to think about what matters to me. What do I really want out of this life and how am I going to get it? And that's why I'm so proud to be part of the community college, because I do think we make that more accessible for people in this area.
1: Right. Absolutely. Just seeing how many people are applying to community colleges, not 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 four year universities, but community colleges is so uplifting, you know, and the fact that former Governor Haslam was able to offer the Tennessee promise, just so insightful. You wouldn't expect that from a Republican governor, but I think that Tennessee is just unique in that way, that they really care about fostering education. I think that's a process that they're going to keep continuing. I I agree with it 100%. Uh, I do too.
0: Of course, obviously. <laughs> right, okay,
1: absolutely. So how can students and parents, how can they get more information about study abroad programs?
0: I would encourage them to go to the TNCIS website. It's org, and they can look at all of the programs that we are offering next year. We have a FAQ for COVID. We have questions for students. We have an option to chat or to be advised online. Each institution probably has an international education representative, so if they wanted to reach out to somebody on their campus, so for Val State, that would be me, but every college would have a contact person who could answer their questions. Um, I think the most fun part about going to the Tensys website, especially for students who are just starting to kind of dream about what they want to do, is to look at all of the opportunities that are available. So if a student has always dreamed about going to Japan, they can get a really good idea of what they would be doing in the program, they can look at the courses that are offered, the syllabus buy are already published. I think it's so much fun to do the planning and to help our students dream. And then it's my job to help them make that dream come true.
1: I absolutely love that. We always like to end the show on a high note. Can you tell us one person who makes you better when you're together?
0: Well, I'm very fortunate. I have a wonderful professional and personal support system. But if I had to pick one person, I would definitely have to say my husband will through the different manifestations of our relationship for almost 20 years. He has been my advisor, my cheerleader, my support system, my accountability partner. He will call me on my crap when he needs to, but I just, I cannot stress how valuable it is to have somebody in my life who gets me, who understands what's important to me and who wants to support me in my role, whether it's educator, traveler, writer, Um, he truly does make me want to continue to be better at what I do.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yep If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yep is a Costa Yep production, writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonso.com. We're better together.